This one I'm most proud of because I got past Secret Service to be where I was. I got past them to stand in that position and I was the only photographer in that position. And I waited and had one camera and one lens, my 50 mil. I didn't want anything else, just wanted the 50 mil. This photography podcast is brought to you by Frames, quarterly printed photography magazine. Here is your today's host, W. Scott Olsen, with another fascinating conversation. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another podcast from Frames Magazine. My name is Scott Olson, and today I am really thrilled. I am very happy to be talking with Kieran McCrickard. Kieran is a, as his website describes him, a freelance photographer over in Worthing in the UK, specializing in architecture, portraiture, and editorial work. But to say that really does not do justice to his career at all. His work has been on the front page of every national newspaper in the UK. He has a portfolio of celebrity and public figures that I think is the envy of anybody working in that field. And most interesting for our conversation today, he has a brand new project underway, which is bright and colorful. And I'm not about to give away any more of it because I want I want to hear it described from the author's own voice. Kieran, good day. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you, Scott. Lovely. Thank you for calling. Thank you for uh, letting me on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Well, th- this is going to be a real pleasure. I have to ask, because the news, as we're recording this, the UK is getting the first doses of the COVID vaccine. How's the mood over there? Is everybody pretty excited for this? A little skeptical? Uh, yeah, I think it's a real mixed bag. I think people are excited, but I think we're slightly skeptical simply because of the way our, I think our government has handled it so far. It hasn't been world-beating or world-class. So... I think at the moment, I think the government are riding on this vaccine and the fact that we're the first country to have it. But people are, they're kind of umming and ahhing about it. They don't necessarily know whether they're going to have it or, you know, if they even trust it, really. I think we're just going to see how it goes. It is obviously the first day, so we'll just have to see, you know. Well, I I hope it all works out better than anybody's expectations because photography, as well as every other profession on the planet, has been really affected by the lockdowns. Which brings me to, let's just jump in the deep end here. You have a project that is really interesting and really impressive called Parks and No Recreation. That's right. And, and, And before we get into it, we should tell everybody that your website, and, and I hope they go to this, like sort of follow along, is mccrickardphotography.co.uk. McCrickard is M-C-C-R-I-C-K-A-R-D, photography, all is one word, .co.uk. And they can get to this project from the, the about page down at the bottom. You've got a link to the latest editorial from The Guardian, which is this. But there's also a separate site, uh, mccrickardphotography.pixieset.com dot com uh, then slash parks and no recreation so give it a shot folks you're going to find it Karen, tell us what what is parks and no recreation well it was born simply out of the pandemic and the lockdown obviously uh, the whole pandemic started to raise its head in january february and then i noticed things starting to really slow down in february with jobs dropping off because I, I i do a fair bit of work in london and i do a little bit abroad but that stuff abroad really dropped off after March but the stuff in London started to just fade away a bit and then obviously March the 24th I think it was came along and 
everything just disappeared. And I think a lot of us were staring into an abyss, really. We didn't really know what was happening or what would happen in in the future. So once March the 24th came along, I started to think I need to look for different things to do. I need to look about, you know, finding another way of bringing money in because obviously I have two kids and a wife, la, 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 all that kind of thing. So I, I went out and I started doing speculative stuff, empty beaches, empty this, empty that. But then I, after a couple of weeks of trying, pushing these these speculative pictures to the newspapers, I wasn't getting anywhere. And I realized it was because there were so many other photographers out there who were in the same boat because – the country had shut down, so there was no concerts. Politicians weren't moving. The royalty weren't moving around. There was no sports games. So all those photographers who used to do that stuff had nothing to do. So everyone was out doing the same thing. <laughs> so I thought, <laughs> after a couple of weeks, I thought, I need to do something different. So I was driving around with my girls. We were just getting exercise, trying to get out, you know, do anything we could really to get out of the house, you know, every day and it was actually one of my first projects I started was a thing called Unwanted Pandemic. And it was actually photographing all the stuff that people were clearing out of their houses and garages and lofts because people were at home all the time. Now they couldn't go to their offices. They were bored. So they were clearing out their houses and they were leaving them on the street for people just to take. And this ranged from absolute junk to stuff that you'd think, well, you know, I can actually have this in my own home kind of thing. So I started mm-hmm. going around photographing just driving around, photographing all this stuff that people would leave. And that was great. But after a while, I noticed that people only have a finite amount of stuff and people were taking it and there was not a lot around anymore. This was after a couple of weeks. It was all going. Mm -hmm. And I thought, right, okay, let's think about doing more empty stuff, places that aren't inhabited anymore. And I thought about kind of football pitches, tennis courts, things like that, but they're all the same from above or at any point, they're all the same. Some are slightly different colours. So I think the first thing I did, I went to a crazy golf kind of range thing that me and my girls go to. And it was it was obviously close down. So I thought, I'm going to see what it looks like from above. So I got the drone up and it looked good. It looked nice. There was a composition there. There was colors, but it was, it was really, really busy because it, it was a crazy golf center. There's like dinosaurs, volcanoes, all this stuff kicking off. And from above, it looked good. But I thought I'm going to try something else. So I went around to my local park. It was only around the corner, walked around with the drone and got it up and I shot it from high up so you could see everything. And then I realized actually the closer you got to the ground, the lower you went, the more abstract it became, the better it looked. So the first one I shot was a slide from above and it was great because it was completely abstracted. You really had to look at it for a while to realize what it was it kind of dawned on me from then on that no one's ever actually seen these places from that position before, apart from, say, the designers, you know, in a CAD illustration or something on on their Mac when they're actually laying these parks out. I thought no one's ever seen this ever from above. So it kind of went from there. I just thought, okay, well, let's start doing some more parks. Let's have a look around. So I went to all the parks that I knew. And they were all empty, all quiet, and there's no one around. Either, you know, they're parks and they're in the middle of fields, but there's still no one around apart from the odd dog walker. And I just started realizing that to abstract them, r- rather than shoot them from high up with their all their component parts, go in closer. And I had the time to do it because there was no one around. So I could I could hover the drone, move it, da-da-da, and I'd spend maybe 20 minutes, half an hour, sometimes changing the batteries, 
at one park just to get the correct angle, la la la, this kind of stuff. And I realized they actually shoot better in flat light because once you introduce sun, you get shadows and then they become mm-hmm. something different. They become more discernible. They become more obvious without shadow. They really are kind of really graphic and abstract and you have to kind of look at them for a quite a while before you realize what they are, you know? Well, let's talk about a couple of them in specific, and and not only the abstract quality of them, but there is color composition here, there's shape composition, there's uh, straight curving, you you name it, lines. These are beautiful compositions. One of my favorites, simply because of uh, personal history, is is the one that you call Ride Along. Oh, yeah. (laughs) For the people that are listening, this is a very small, what we would call a merry-go-round. It's three little scooters, probably for two-year-olds. And and it's centered in the frame. It's a green metal stand with these little scooters on. It's got a red ball in the middle, a a different color red for the the ground around it. Tell me the story of just this one particular shot. That one, yeah, I remember the park. Bizarrely, I think I've got some sort of, I don't know, I don't know what it is, maybe some sort of slight autism, but I remember every single park I went to and I remember every single picture. (laughs) I know where that picture was taken, you know, and which park it was. And I did, I'd say, maybe 70, 80 parks in total. But this one was close to my um, parents-in-law, actually, and I got, I think, about three good frames from this park. It's a really, really big park with lots and lots of stuff going on. But that one was great because the actual ground around it is so dirty it's so it just looks horrible like the red but then you have the roundabout itself which looks battered but then there is an ever so slight shadow underneath it and it looks like it's hung on a wall it looks like it's hung i don't know in a back alley or something or maybe in a gallery or something it's really really Mm -hmm. bizarre but i just loved it because it's one of those ones again where you look at it and you just you kind of think i actually don't know what that is or where it is and that's what i loved about it the most i think yeah yeah is is there an awful lot of post production here? Because the red in the center there is is priceless, and and the little green leaves that you've got off center on, on the lower part match the green of the base just per, you know perfectly. Is that the way you found it, or is that a little bit of artistry in there? No, no, there's there's no adjustments whatsoever. The only thing I did was up the levels. Sometimes they were slightly dark. I was shooting close to sometimes not nighttime, but when the sun was going, so I had to shoot them under then bring them back up in post-production but there's no color correction nothing like that it's all as is which is which is what i love the most i mean i think there's another one which still blows my mind when i see it i think is um pink wheel two pink wheel yes i'm glad you mentioned that one yeah is is that the one with the it's pink with the is it kind of like a turquoise green behind it Yes, and it's got two two yellow benches, and again, it, it's a spinning thing for children. That one, Pink Wheel Two, that was on the coast. That that park was about a hundred yards from the actual coastline, and it, I think it's so weathered; it's been battered by the rain and the wind, and God knows what, and kids, obviously, that it's just become that faded pink and that faded green. And that's another thing. In the early days, when I go to any park that I knew, and I'd just go to every single park I knew. And then I'm thinking there must be more parks in this. So I ended up going on Google Maps and you can't actually find a list of parks anywhere. They don't, they're not necessarily listed by the council. You just have to go on Google Maps and pan in where you think a park might be. So you start with the fields and normally in the corner. Sometimes they're in, they're in the center of a housing estate, something like that where you'd never know. 
So that's what I ended up doing. And I'd pan in close, have a look at them, work out the date they were taken and whether they were suitable enough. Because some parks, they're completely black kind of, um, I don't know if you have it over there, but it's like a rubber matting they put. So if the kid falls off, they don't yes. break their arms or whatever. And a lot of them in this country, it's just black because they're made out of tires. So it's minced up tires and they're just, and some of them are dyed, obviously some aren't. And the black ones don't look great. So you, you'd kind of leave that one alone and then move on to the next park. And then if there was just a hint of color, a hint of something, I'd note that park down and make sure that I went to it because you never knew. I'll tell you, some of the best ones were the um, splash parks that would have been full of kids running through water and stuff, but they were drained and they looked they looked amazing because the colours there was just so vibrant. Tell me about both intent and reaction here, because to think about, you know, if you're going to photograph empty parks with no children in them, it's very easy to become sort of sad or morose or, or to say, you know, look at how desperate and desolate these places are. Yeah. And your images are not that at all. Uh, your images are bright and vibrant and, and the colors are really engaging. W- what is the sort of tonal message that you're after here? And, and what have people been saying? Well, it's interesting because I think there's a juxtaposition. Obviously, these parks were desolate. They were barren. There was no one there. But the colours, I, th- I think when you go to these parks, a lot of people don't really notice the colours on the ground. You know, they're either on their phones or watching their kids, and they don't notice these designs underneath their feet. And I think once you got above it and you looked down and there was weeds, there was litter, there was stuff like that, but there was still colour, it kind of gave a hint at the future, you know, this is all a hint that they were once used. And in a way, yeah, they are quite forlorn. But at the same time, you know, you, you stick them on a wall, three of them together in a triptych, the right colours, they look lovely. But then you're told what they are and you go, oh, that's actually quite depressing. But it's kind of a, you, do you see what I mean? A slight juxtaposition uh-huh. between the two, you know? Yep. And, and so was it just that juxtaposition that you were after? And, and what have people been saying? Yeah, it was that. Once I'd kind of honed in on it and I knew that the best way to shoot them was to go in close people really were like wow I didn't know they looked like that I never noticed this and then other people would text me going I know where that I know where that roundabout is I know where that park and they were just they were guessing where they were you know they'd been there with their kids or whatever and sometimes they were right sometimes they were wrong but one thing I did notice which was which is the most amazing thing about them not one single park is the same not one single park is the same, and that blows my mind. Every single one is designed differently because they have to fit into a different space. They have to cater for different needs. You know, not one has the same facilities. Some have two slides, some have one, some have no swings, la, la, la. Whereas mm-hmm. you photograph a tennis court or a football pitch, they're all the same from above, all the same markings, just a slightly different size. And that's what I loved about this project was that you never knew what you were going to get. Once you know, once you got the drone up, you had no idea what it was going to look like until you got it up there, you know? Would you say the drone was, what, six feet, eight feet above your subjects here? Sometimes it was maybe four or five feet, not even that. Yeah. And then other times maybe 30. But to be honest, it was quite low because I was kind of abstracting more, you know? But, I mean, that was the joy of it. I'd, I'd shoot apart for half an hour. I'd get maybe 30, 35 frames, but only one would make it at the end. You know, I'd get home, have a look at them and just, you know, disregard them, then just pick the strongest one. Oh. There's two more from this project that I want to ask you about. One, 
purely for selfish reasons, because when I was a toddler, I spent hours on this thing. And that is the little sand digger toy, whatever you call that thing. It's got the red seat and the little shovel that you manipulate with the two arms. Do you remember that one? Oh, that one is the the pink seat. Yes. Yeah. One of the things that strikes me about this image is sort of its narrative quality, because what you have is the mostly filled in trench in a circle around the center where children have been digging before. Yeah, I remember that one. Yeah, it was it was a really small park, but I did get about three decent images from it. And when it was a small park, I meant there was three things to do in that park. It was tiny. But I remember with that one, I remember there being, I think, raindrops in the sand as well. And it just made it even more depressing. But then you have this amazing iridescent pink seat. And then, uh, you know, a little bit of silver and then this really pale background. And I, I, I like that one. It really stood out. In terms of composition, anything else, it's kind of, it's okay. But it was more about the colors and, and the, other, the other little things, you know. And one of the things that I really like about this, as I was saying, is the way the lines shot from above really take on a completely different character than what you would normally see uh, in the park. It, it is a... a Really, really interesting photograph. There's one that I want to ask you about because I've been staring at it and I have absolutely no idea what it is. Right. I think I know the one. Well, we'll see. This is a a black and a turquoise uh, ground, black being uh, the the top one third. Then there's a white metal bar in, in the bottom one third line. And underneath that is hung what almost looks like a chain basketball hoop but is clearly not that. I mean, it looks more like a spider's web or, or something in there. Oh. I, I have no idea what it is I'm looking at, but just in terms of line, just in terms of color, it is a mesmerizing photograph. Uh, what is that thing? And, and, and tell me that story. That was a park near my children's school. I remember that one. That is, there's a lot of them around. You, you, you mustn't have them in your country. Then they're kind of like... Um, chain bucket seats you sit in them and then someone pushes you and you just swing back backwards and forth is that right okay yes most often in the united states you'll see that with a tire instead of a a chain ah i mean to be honest i think they should be banned because they're lethal there's a lot of weight to them you push a kid and if it comes back at you it'll take you (laughs) (laughs) i i don't if, if my kids go near them i'm always next to them because they are they are very dangerous but they look great from above so there you are. <laughs> they do. I, I mean, you know, all the, the rules about photography, you know, rule of thirds and, and color coordination and stuff, you just hit right on the mark with this one. I love its specificity too. all the dents in the metal bar and the, the scrapes and colors. Yeah, yeah. This is what I loved about it, though, because I, I couldn't do a lot and because it gave me time to go back to what I absolutely loved when I was first starting out in photography, and, and that was abstracts. I absolutely loved abstracting everything, and I do it now with my architectural work, which is great because I've kind of fulfilled that need, if you know what I mean. But this mm-hmm. was my chance, and I had the time to do it, and there was no brief because it was my brief. It wasn't someone telling me, can you shoot this, and then that, and then off you go. And I had that time in these parks. I could take as much time as, well, as much time as my wife would let me to do it. <laughs> and, you know, and I had three batteries in my drone, so it was great. I could land it, put another one in, go back again, do another, and then go back again, you know. And that, I worked it out. It'd give me a good, with three batteries, that's a good hour of shooting a park, which was brilliant. You know, that's enough time to cover it and not miss a thing. At the back of my mind, 
and at the forefront was always, this has never happened before. I'm never going to get this opportunity to shoot these parks again. You know, once they're full of kids, that's it. You're done and you can't get the drone near them. La la la. And also it changes everything. It, it wouldn't work. It wouldn't be the same thing. So I was acutely aware of when this lockdown was going to end and how much time I had. So much so that when I knew, when the day was set that the lockdown was going to end and everything would reopen and the parks would reopen, I spent two days researching parks all around Sussex, the county and Hampshire. And I just marked all these down and I went out for a whole day. And I just, I think I got around 14 parks in a day or something, just all the best ones that I could find. And just, just to get out of my system and make sure that I had so much covered, you know? So Kieran, these images are the result of the lockdown, but you have, as, as I said at the beginning, a career that many photographers only dream about before the pandemic hit. And I want to get to some of that in just a minute. I want to get to your portraits and, and your architecture work, your editorial work. But one of the things I always find fascinating is how anybody ever gets started in photography. So, so give me the, the short version of you know, your history from the very first camera up to your first professional gig. Okay. I started out early doors when I was about 17. I started getting interested in photography. We, we come from quite an arty family. Both my, I've got twin sisters who are older and they are both artists in their own right. Uh, my dad's an author and my mum's a, a teacher. So we kind of come from that arty background. But I started off with a camera when I was 17. I went to America for a year to do voluntary work. And I took my first camera with me then. And that's when I fell in love with it really, because just the light out there, I was in California and it was amazing. And I was shooting on film in those days and it was just stunning, you know, slide film. It was, it was brilliant. I came back, I did a degree for three years and photography was part of that. And I learned darkroom work. I came out of what well, part of that degree. The last year was I had to get some kind of relevant work. So I ended up working with a, a studio photographer who was doing 10, eight, five, four, developing his own stuff, all that kind of stuff. So I did work with him when I was at university. And then I came out of university. I started work with him properly doing studio stuff, you know, things with 15, 16 lights where you do two pictures a day and that's it. You know, you set the room up, it takes you ages, la la la. But I learned the basics then. I set up a dark room in my bathroom at home. I bought a 10 inch enlarger from a, a a lab that was closing down and it was the equivalent of about $120 uh, back then. And I've seen them online now and they're $3,000. It's oh ridiculous. My. It's kind of gone full circle. It was cheap back then because <laughs> it was kind of in the age of in between digital, you know, film and digital. I've still got the 10 8 enlarger. It's huge. It weighs a couple of tons and it's made of cast iron steel. You know, you could, <laughs> if there was a nuclear blast, you could stand behind it and you'd, you'd be safe. You'd, you'd be all right. Anyway, yeah. So I built the dark room. I built a portfolio together of abstract work and then I started um, looking for work. I ended up working for three local newspapers. I was there for a year and a half, and then I got with a national agency down here in London, near London, because that's where the work was. I was using Nikon then. Then I moved to Canon, and then I was at that agency for a few, good few years, maybe 10 years. We were working for the national press, so we'd be sent out covering news, editorial, portraits, things like that. And then I went freelance, and that was about five and a half years ago. And... That's where we are now, actually. So I've just built up a business from that, which, as you said, includes architecture, uh, portrait, corporate corporate work here, London, 
a fair bit abroad as well. But I mean, that stuff has dried up and I don't know when that's going to come back, to be honest. But that is the stuff I miss, the, the stuff abroad. But anyway, we'll have yeah. to say. The, the, you know, that step to go from on somebody's staff and somebody's salary to freelancers, I think a dream many of us have. But boy, that takes a bit of bravery because you're always hustling. Yeah. I think the hardest step is that self-belief in thinking, I, I can succeed. I can bring money in. When you're employed, you have a steady stream that you don't have a lot to do with. You, you go out, you do the work, you enjoy it, like you do your best, but you're not in, you're not in charge. You're, you're not overseeing that kind of side of things. So when it comes to going freelance, you're the one who's overseeing that. You're the one who's in charge of it. You're the one who has to make it happen. And that's the biggest thing. And then it, it does come down to that self-belief because if you don't have that self-belief, you probably won't make that leap in a way because you think, well, I don't think I'll be able to bring that money in. But once you go freelance and you push yourself and you have to keep pushing, that's the one thing you really, really have to keep pushing, even on quiet days, because you can't rest on your uh, on your laurels at all. Because if you work for a company and you get good money for them, if the person you're working with moves on, the person who replaces them may want to replace you. So you can't you have to keep looking and you have to keep pushing. I want to talk about a couple images from your portfolio in, in the various different uh, styles. And let's start, if we could, with, with what on your website is under the editorial category. There, there is a shot. I don't know if this is a drone shot or an airplane shot, but a whole neighborhood of, of very colorful uh, homes. Do you know which one I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. I know the one. Yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah, I know exactly the one you're talking about. <laughs> I, I remember that shot vividly. I used to do a lot of plane work or helicopter work where they'd take the door off the helicopter and you'd be strapped in and you'd just have, you'd essentially be hanging out the helicopter with a long lens to shoot whatever you needed to do, be it a construction site, a building, a home or something, whatever the, the story was. And it was always drilled into me on the way back from the flight or on the way there, wherever you're going, see if there's anything else interesting to shoot. So... That was Brighton, which is a town just next to me on the south coast. And those terrace houses are on a big hill, a big kind of hill that goes up and then all the way down the back again. And they're all the same houses, all these terrace, bright colored terrace houses. And I had the long lens and it was a, I was in a Cessna plane. So it's a tiny little window you open, just a tiny little window, just pop your lens out. And I shot that. I thought it looks lovely because all the houses are different color, but you have perfect pattern and you have all this beautiful color. And it did well, that picture. It went on a few front covers, but then it was also used quite a few times just to illustrate house price stories, how the housing market was in this country, if it was slumping, if it was doing well, that kind of stuff. The story, the picture would pop up quite often. Yeah, we, it, it did well, that picture. Obviously not for me because I was with the agency, but, but they did well. <laughs> there are so many things about photography that are... Uh, behind the scenes, more or less, and, and a sense of line, a sense of pattern is, is one of the things that I find really recurrent uh, in, in your work and evocative patterns. A, a picture right after that one in your portfolio is the young boy in a red snowsuit pulling a sled in, in front of a bunch of what look like beach houses or, or, or oh, yeah. some sort. Was that one planned? Was that one completely accidental? Tell me the story of that one. That one was, yeah, that's purely fortuitous. Again, it, it's unusual because it rarely, rarely snows. And that was the coast, they're beach huts. So just behind those beach huts or in front of them is the sea. So for it to snow on the beach itself is really, really rare. 
and those times you just got to get out with your camera and this and I, I went down to those beach huts because I've shot them before in really really bad weather and they make if you get the light behind them they make a fantastic silhouette in fact if you look on my website two pictures along there's a silhouette of yes. similar yes. beach huts you get that kind of effect and it looks great perfect shape it can illustrate mm-hmm. anything want and that one was purely fortuitous yeah i got down there and i needed someone in the shot but i needed someone with color so i waited a bit and then there's just this little guy in a red suit and it was just perfect and then you have a little pop of that kind of turquoise blue on the on the beach hut in the middle and it it just looks nice you know against a gray sky well, one of the things that I find uh, impressive about your work is the sense of color. And, and you just seem to be the luckiest photographer in the world for how, the, how these colors come together for you. Uh, so so I envy you that unless you're out there with a can of paint saying, I need, I need a little turquoise in this shot. Hang on a minute. Um, <laughs> I'm looking at these portraits and, and there are some very famous people in there and some people that may be famous in the UK, but I don't recognize them uh, over here. But Tell me your favorite portrait story, either the, the, the way the image wound up or something we don't see. For a couple of reasons, I'd say it's probably Donald Trump on the stairs. I'm just looking at it now. Can you see it, the black and white one? Yes. World Economic Forum. Yes, I can. That's right. Yeah, because that was, there's a fair bit of, there's a fair story to it because that was the first year he was there. It was semi-pandemonium, really, because I, I was there shooting it for the World Economic Forum. There's a team of us. There's a team of about 14 photographers from all over the world, Thailand, South Africa, Germany, Switzerland, and then England. And it was absolute chaos. You couldn't get a clear picture of him at all unless he was surrounded by Secret Service, advisors, or just other photographers or other film crews or just people in general. He was just mobbed. He was absolutely mobbed. And I mean, with this one, it was good because you knew when he was coming because about two hours before he was supposed to walk down some stairs, a crowd would assemble and you'd know that something was going to happen. People would just wait for him to walk past film crews, photographers, whatever. And I was in between sessions. We have, we get assigned with sessions each day between 10 and 14, 15 sessions. And we have to go through these sessions, photograph every person speaking, caption them, send them out and put them on um, Flickr, the World Economic Forum Flickr page. And I was in between sessions on this one. I had about an hour's gap and I had free time. So I thought I'm going to go. And I hadn't had a clear picture of him in the whole, this might've been day three or something. I thought I need to get a clear picture of him just for my own sanity because my others were just, they were just messy. There was too many people behind. It was just too busy, if you know what I mean. You had to get get what you can. This one I'm most proud of because I got past Secret Service to be where I was. I got past them to stand in that position, and I was the only photographer in that position. And I waited and had one camera and one lens, my 50 mil. I didn't want anything else. I just wanted the 50 mil. And I thought he was going to walk along the corridor and up the stairs. I didn't realize he was actually coming down. Uh, but then, lo and behold, he came down the stairs and he just paused. And it looks like he's looking right into the lens and he's posing for me. And you've got the form in the background. And I think the composition is quite nice. There's shapes there. And then he turned the corner and he was gone. And that was it. And that was, I'd say, the proudest moment simply because of what I managed to achieve to get it. Yeah, maybe not the subject matter, but just the fact that I got it. <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, it, it's you know, I, I think the takeaway there 
It is determination and going for the shot that you imagine, whether it's taking a drone out to parks, whether it's the move to freelance, whether it's saying, I need this shot because nobody else is going to get it. Photography is an act of, of imagination and an act of serendipity sometimes, but it is getting ourselves in the position to see what we imagine. Yeah. That's right. That's right. I think I think that's it for me. I was more happy with the fact, the effort I'd made to do it. I made that effort and I got that lovely shot and I was happy with it. And that was it because there was no one else around. There's no one else in the shot. He's on his own. It's not messy. It looks like he's posed. And then I'm happy with that, you know? Well, Kieran, we, we could go through, and I would be happy to go through a hundred more of your images. It is work that I think everybody out there should go uh, take a look at. The corporate work, the architectural, the editorial, and certainly this new project, Parks and No Recreation. Thank you very much, sir. This has been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure, Scott. Thank you so much for taking your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Frames. Because excellent photography belongs on paper. Visit us at www.readframes.com.